This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The opportunity is so big. There's so much work to be done in this space that no one provider can really fill all of that need. The opportunity is really about understanding where the biggest need is that aligns with what that provider has capacity to do. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host today, Jamie Zage. We are going to cover a very important topic, one that is near and dear to my heart, behavioral health. While access to behavioral health services has always been a challenge, the need for services is greater and has grown during the pandemic over the past few years. And health system leaders are really taking a hard look at how they can more effectively create capacity, not just on their inpatient units, but across the system of care. Joining me today are three of my colleagues, Stephanie Snyder, Lisa McGuire, and Matt Fidel. Stephanie Snyder is the SG2 lead for behavioral health services and brings 20 years of clinical experience, operational experience, and strategic experience to this topic. Lisa McGuire, a senior director and a member of SG2's consulting team. I've actually had the privilege of working and partnering with Lisa on a number of our SG2 behavioral health consulting projects. And Matt is an associate principal on the consulting team, and he brings years of capacity planning experience, not just for behavioral health, but across all service lines. So excited to have all three of you here today. Stephanie, why don't you start by setting the stage for us? Why is right-sizing the inpatient bed capacity so important right now? I would say in the last two years, right, related to the pandemic, that's where things really started getting hairy for behavioral health. We've had those long-term access issues for years and years. 20 years ago, we had the same problems we have now. We have a broken system of care. We have a long history of just really poor reimbursement, a lack of parity and insurance coverage, and that's led to organizations over time being nervous to invest in behavioral health. And rightfully so. If you're not being paid well, it's difficult to make those decisions. The pandemic, the societal stressors, the rocky environment that we've had over the last two years has led to significant rates and increases in incidents. We have the workforce demand, and that's forcing CEOs and the like to really take a hard look at behavioral health. It's not starting. It's been doing this for a couple of years. It's manifesting in the emergency department that ED impact impacts both adults and pediatric patients, everybody across the board, substance use, overdoses, mental health. That in turn relays high boarding rates, high transfer rates to outside facilities. Many hospitals have found themselves in a crisis mode as a result of not addressing the need for behavioral health over the long-term services. Thank you for setting that stage, Stephanie. Matt and Lisa, when you're out working with our clients one-on-one, what are they asking us about in this space? Matt? It's a lot what Stephanie was articulating and what causes our clients to change is twofold in terms of the sense of urgency around a burning platform and quite frankly, an opportunity on the quality and economic side. The burning platform really starting in the emergency room and those access issues. SG2 is projecting around 20 to 24% increase in the emergency room adult behavioral health cases. That's creating some overwhelmed or clogged EDs that maybe don't have the resources and the clinicians organized in a collaborative manner to really take on those patients. 
just a lot of challenges. And, and what it comes down to is essentially an operational nightmare for some of those EDs that are, are just trying to move patients through and, and get the right patients to the right place at the right time. It's strategic, but it's also operational. It kind of spans the continuum, the acute care setting in general. And the, the opportunity is really big here, but mostly on the provider side, the opportunity is really about understanding the role that they're going to play in terms of addressing the behavioral health needs. It's a great point that you make that the system of care needs are tremendously big. Providers really need to take a hard look at what their role is, really understand what they're trying to accomplish. Tell us more about how health systems can begin to do that. The opportunity is so big. There's so much work to be done in this space that no one provider can really fill all of that need. The opportunity is really about understanding where the biggest need is that aligns with what that provider has capacity to do, whether that's financially workforce or that's increasing outpatient capacity, creating an inpatient unit. It's really about thinking where they can play a role in prioritizing the space that they can play in from both a strategic and operational win-win for them. Lisa, I love the point you made towards the end when you were talking about the prioritization aspect of this. I know we've spent some time with our clients as well as in the past just talking about how to prioritize based on the fact that the economics may not be ideal in some way, but also the demand is continually increasing. And quite frankly, the opportunity cost of not doing something. When you're talking to clients around prioritization, where do you see them focusing in behavioral health playing into their strategic plan when you're working with your clients? I think it varies. It varies the type of organization or varies where they're set up. But essentially, it's inventorying, like, what role is it that they play in outpatient care? A lot of our health systems don't have the workforce to provide the full continuum of that ambulatory care, or I should say outpatient treatment, because that requires a lot of practitioners to do that. What we're seeing a lot is our health systems, our provider-based clients, really reacting to their immediate need. And oftentimes, we'll see that they have the clogged DD situation. They're trying to figure out what to do with these patients. They're trying to figure out the programming that's best going to address that immediate need in the short term and long term. Lastly, our provider organizations are really thinking about kind of some of the niche services. So what is the need for things like eating disorders when we're thinking about behavioral health and what role can they play in some of that? And again, I think that's all geography-based, market-based, et cetera, in the span of services when it comes to some of those. I guess moral of the story is there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of different paths and avenues that our provider organizations can take. And it's really going to be institution and market specific in terms of what they do. You guys have such great insight that organizations really need to segment and prioritize how they approach their behavioral health system of care. As we always say, you can't be all things to all patients. And in particular, that's challenging in behavioral health. When it comes to planning capacity, what data would health system planners need or could they leverage in order to begin really understanding the need in this unique space? Data can be so helpful, but we don't want it to drown us and drown our ability to make decisions. So it should be there to inform us and help us ask bigger questions. So, for example, organizations who take a look at the SG2 impact of change forecast can see, as Matt noted, a 20 to 24 percent increase over the next five and 10 years. They can use that in their specific market because that will vary in your different markets. That's a national number. But I think certainly understanding where you're going to have 
have increases over the next couple of years. If you think you're in crisis mode now, what happens when you have a 20% increase? So I think thinking through that, looking beyond just population increases, but those different aspects that are built into the SG2 forecast, like technology, epidemiology, and so on and so forth. Assessing what will change, I think is a good first step. Also understanding who your partners are in a community. Where do you have opportunity to start to partner with other organizations to start to decant some of that ED volume? Because when that happens, you may need fewer beds. If you can start to lean on other organizations in your community to help, especially those low to moderate acuity patients, they may not need bed space. However, if you don't have an opportunity or somewhere for those patients to go, they may get sicker and sicker or more acute, and then your bed need increases. So it has a lot to do with your system of care, what you have in your environment, what you have at your disposal for your patients. Yes, Stephanie, those are all really great points. And I'm going to jump in just from a consulting perspective. I've, I've done a, a lot of this work in, in, in a bunch of different markets across the country and understanding kind of bed need, right? And I think when we look at inpatient services in general and think about bed need, it's a very simple exercise of understanding what is your current daily census? What is your annual days? What do you anticipate the growth of your annual patient days? And simply understanding the bed need for that days to meet that need both in the current state as well as what you anticipate that growth to be. I think when it comes to behavioral health, it's so much more complex because, as you know, there's really that unmet need aspect that we're trying to understand. So we know that in the absence of services, available services, both inpatient and outpatient, there's a significant unmet need. And a lot of our organizations are struggling with how do you quantify that unmet need? So a couple different approaches that we've thought through and have used. And so it's really about kind of building assumptions. One way to think about it, if you're in a market that doesn't have services, you can assume there's a need there and it's just not being met because there's no services available. In some ways, behavioral health is one of those, if you build it, they will come type of services. So given that assumption, we often look to markets that have robust behavioral health services from an inpatient side, and we look at those utilization rates. So if, for example, there's a market that has a huge behavioral health center, lots of inpatient capacity, we try to understand what those use rates are for that market, and then marry that with a market we're trying to estimate size. So you can assume that if the market has X amount of services, it leads to this use and you are like that market, you can assume maybe your use rates may be similar. So that's one very high level way to understand unmet need. Another perhaps more scientific way to kind of understand the unmet need is, and again, I hate to keep harping on this, is but to really look at how is the need manifesting in your ED? How is it manifesting in your competitor's ED? Where are these patients coming from? What are they coming from for and how long are they staying? So being able to segment out patients that are in your ED for behavioral health related conditions and understanding what those conditions are, are a good way to understand if there's an unmet need in your community. And one of the things we did in one of our more interesting, well, all of our projects are interesting, but one interesting analysis that we did in using this path, so quantifying the number of patients in your ED is, is to really look at the recidivism rates for those patients in the ED. So you know you have a ED issue, behavioral health patients are clogging your ED, you're not able to keep up with the demand. We were able in this particular example to segment those patients out. We were then able to look for and quantify how many times and in what time frame were they coming back to that same ED for the same issue. 
Lisa and Stephanie, I really like your focus on the ED data in your comments. As the experience in the ED with boarding and high transfer rates is really a symptom of that broken system of care. Are there other data points we can look at that might provide additional insights as we try to reduce the dependence on inpatient beds? So you can assume that if a patient came back in a short time frame, say, for example, 7 to 14 days, that patient likely needed to be admitted for an inpatient crisis stabilization, and they weren't able to get that type of treatment. Therefore, they are coming back in that short time frame. So in my mind, that indicates an unmet need for inpatient bed capacity. If, for example, you have another segment of patients or a large segment of patients that are coming back beyond 14 days or 14 to 30 to 60 days, that would indicate perhaps there's a need for more of that step down, that partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient type treatment programming. So again, I think using what you're seeing, the utilization you're seeing and, and struggling with as kind of a manifestation of unmet need and then understanding what is the recidivism, what are they not getting in the community, that's a good way to try and start to size what your inpatient capacity needs to be to address some of those needs. And Lisa, I think you articulated it perfectly around looking at the market demographics, looking at the utilization rates, understanding that there's variables associated with how you look at the ED, how you look at claims coming in, the repeatability of that patient being readmitted or coming back past 90 days based on the the lack of outpatient services being met potentially. But also taking a look at the market, which you articulated around, are the services being offered? But is it a coordinated market or a fragmented market? All right. For organizations who are challenged with their behavioral health capacity, what are the next steps that we think they should take? Lisa, why don't you start us off? Oftentimes, you're going to have a bigger success starting with something that you might be able to leverage than starting from scratch on something completely new. So I would say understand and segment your patient population. Take a look, a very hard look at your current institution and where your strengths are and perhaps even where your weaknesses are. And then understand and prioritize, kind of we started off with the kind of concept of prioritization, prioritize where are you going to make the biggest impact? Where are you going to reduce recidivism? Where are you going to keep patients out of needing inpatient care altogether? really understand where you can focus some quick efforts and and some solid efforts to really kind of make an impact. I would piggyback on that, Lisa, and really start with quality as well, because I think what it allows you to do is realize that the right site of care might not be an inpatient bed, and that might be where they're ending up. And so if you're working with your clinicians on assessing the population like Lisa articulated, but paralleling that with the quality of where the individual will receive the highest quality of care is probably one of the best ways to couple the economics of a fee-for-service model as well, realizing that if you're meeting the patient in the outpatient setting, if you're leveraging the innovation and technology across telehealth and digital platforms to provide therapeutics at the point where it's sorely needed, I think you're going to have a pretty decent assessment across both the utilization trends as well as the clinical and operational guardrails. Thank you, Stephanie, Lisa, and Matt for sharing your thoughts and insights on behavioral health capacity planning. It's clear from what you have shared with our listeners today that today's behavioral health challenges really do require carefully planned strategic responses. I think we might just have to have the three of you back for a further conversation. There's just so much more to talk about. 
Thanks so much for your time today. And thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.